What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. Okay, so Taylor and I were just sitting here and had a show and go with Taylor Davis on Tuesday, May 16th. This guy is fresh off the birth of his second child just before Mother's Day. Before we get any farther, that was perfect. I mean, Amber had to be thrilled, right? Like that is, you treated her like a queen for the past week and a half, I assume, yeah? She is a queen, man. And, you know, I've talked about it in an earlier episode. I'll talk about it again, dude. There is nothing more humbling for me than watching my wife give birth. Honestly, it's the most incredible. Um, it's the most incredible sight. And, and to think that, you know, their bodies go through that. It, anyway, it is absolutely unfathomable. So excited that Emily is, is here. Um, Brooks loves her, which yeah. has been really fun for us. Um, it sucks that I'm I'm without him right now, but hopefully um by hopefully by the next the by Friday's episode, um they'll be on their way down here. So yeah, so we're we're in a we're in a just the most anxious spot, man. But uh yeah, beautiful daughter and very, very lucky. You are um introducing Emily to the nomad lifestyle right away of baseball. It's hey, right away, dude, like born in, born in Kentucky or Indiana. Born in Kentucky, born in Louisville. Yeah. So born in Louisville, time to get in a car and go down to Bradenton, Florida. You're born right. in Louisville on the anniversary of Show and Go's hosts only major league home run between the two of us. Yeah, that is freaking awesome. Middle name Addison, yeah? Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> Crazy, man. Um, I think Waka would make a good middle name, so. Wow, okay. And that was like, so that was what, 2016 that you hit the, the bomb? No, that was 2019. That was 2019? Okay. Because um, I was going to say, Waka had one of those crazy, it was 2015, where he was just flat out awesome. 17 and 7, a 3 3 8. And he came back in what, 21? 21. No, he had a 5. He had a 3 3 last year in Boston. He had a 5 in Tampa, right? He had a 5 in Tampa. Yeah. But 20. 19 he had a 4-7 in St. Louis but he had a 3-2 in St. Louis and 15 starts in 18 so yeah man like you you caught Waka when he was still you know kind of kind of kicking tail man you know this is like I think this is this is gonna hit home for a lot of guys that uh were either backup catchers or even starting catchers but you know the most important thing for me that day, without question, was getting you Darvish as far into that game as I possibly could. Yeah. Um, by the way, potentially, I have to think about it, but for sure, one of the funnest guys in the world to catch. Um, and we can go into that in a second, too. But um, all I wanted to do was keep him in the game. And the only way that he stays in the game is if I hit a grand slam, because if I get a hit, or if I get out, if I get a hit, they're going to pinch hit for him. If I get out, they're just going to double switch. Yeah. Um, so the only way he stayed in the game is if I hit a grand slam. And I didn't really, really know that at the time. Um, but that was the coolest part for me was that I kept him in the game, gave him an opportunity to get a win. I don't remember if he did or not. But, um, dude, like, you, you know, you kind of like, you see the stories about you, but like, he really will just randomly pick pitches and be like, this is what I want to work on today. I'm going to throw 95% of these. Like he threw bullpens for weeks with fastball, slider, changeup. And the, don't get me wrong, the slider has, you know, six different shapes. 
and it's an incredible pitch. Um, but then we get into the game, and like the day, the morning of, he comes up to me, and goes, "Hey, I'm, we're gonna go uh, majority sinkers today." I didn't even know you threw a sinker. So, but he was just that talented man. Like he is just truly. I don't want to say like make up a pitch on the spot because I don't think he really does that. But like to be able to pick and choose his arsenal, um, he's one of a kind. So just to continue, like what I was saying at the very top, we were thinking about like what we're going to dive into. You've been gone for a week and a half. And I was like, hey, you want to do the Wilson Contreras thing? And you were like, just start the recording because I know you know Wilson really well. So, I mean, you haven't had a chance to get in front of a hot mic for the past 10 days and over the past 10 days that's when the Wilson shit has gone down. So we're going to get into that, but I want to keep going with Darvish here because this is a great point. And I, I hear all these things about Darvish. I hear all these things about Otani. And I talk to a lot of guys that just have a level of feel that is unmatched by most, but they look up at Darvish and Otani because those guys, like, is it something about what they feel in a bullpen? Like Darvish, he could throw a couple pitches in a pen and be like, this isn't working today. Let's tweak. Let's find this. This is working today. Let's go with this. Like they almost adjust their arsenal on that day while they warm up for that outing. I think they're adjusting their arsenal within games, to be honest with you. One thing I'll say though, is that I I think Otani honestly is just incredibly gifted and goes out there and beats you with, with two pitches, right? Like, He's beating you outside of maybe Spencer Strider. I'm not sure any you would rather have two pitches than Otani's fastball and slider. Um, but you know, use use picking and choosing hitter to hitter, which uh, which slider he's going to break out. Like he's got four of them: one for a strike, one for a put away, one for a strike on a power hitter. Like it's it's incredible. He can put them to both sides of the plate when he's doing it right. Um, and then he's got, you know, he's got 97 behind it. Um, it it's, you know, the other, the, I'll tell you this cool story. Um, I was told that Jake Arrieta would choose this. So like the year that he was, was dominant, he had a, he has one slider, but he would, he would make it bigger or smaller based on the hitter. And I, I was told that by people that caught him that, he would sometimes make his decision like in the middle of his windup while he was getting ready to throw it. No way. Like, I mean, it's crazy to think about, man, but that guy, when that guy was locked in, dude, it was, it was so fun to watch. But it sounds like he's got this level of freedom in his mind that nobody else can tap into when they're locked in. You know what I mean? Cause locked in for so many guys means I'm going to beat you with this that I have my initial mind set on for him. He's a level of locked in that allows him the Liberty to adjust at any given time, which is so unique and so interesting. Yes, it, it really truly is. And, um, but I think that, that you does that on a whole nother level because not only does you do that within his pitches, but he does that in the entire arsenal. Like yeah. you know, he picks, he, he creates a curveball. Like there were opportunities when uh, you know he was throwing left-handed bullpens when he was hurt. Like I know that's a like that's another step, and that's a lot like a it'll probably never happen. But like the reality is, this guy I believe he could do it. Like if there's anybody in baseball that could do that, it's that guy. Like yeah. 
just being able to pick and choose which pitches you want to go out. And then on top of that, you're going to go sign three $100 million contracts. Right. Good for you. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, yeah. So when you say last thing on Darvish, when you say, you know, go like invent a curveball or something like go find a new curveball. You know, we, we've talked about pitch design in recent weeks on this podcast, right? We talked about it this offseason when, you know, guys were experimenting with new pitches. And, you know, I, I'm not sure if we've hit on the sweeper thing, but the sweeper is getting in. And in essence, like a sweeper is just a slider with a bit more horizontal break and, and a bit less vertical break. Um, when it comes to trying a new pitch, when it comes to, you know, inventing a new curveball, like, is that something that, you know, he'll just snap off in a different way. Like it's not always a grip thing, right? Sometimes it's like wrist action. Like what goes into that? I would, yeah, I would say majority of it is, is grips. Um, there is like most of the time you're going to grip something differently. And then occasionally you'll be gripping something and somebody will give you a cue. But the reality is it's still probably a new grip with that cue. Got it. Um, now, once you've done that once, now maybe you figure out a different intent with a certain pitch. You figure out um, a different way to cock your wrist. Um, but it all starts usually with a new grip. Um, and I mean, you know, some guys don't uh, experiment as much as others. You know, I think that you experiments with pitches. I think he tries to see what he can make the ball do. Um, some guys are good enough to do that. Other guys feel as though, and I don't think this is the wrong way of thinking necessarily. I think other guys think I want to work on what I'm going to do 100% of my work. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't want to invent new because what I've got is, is when I execute what I have, it works. I don't need to, why well, fix it if it ain't broke. Um, and I don't disagree with that either. I just think it's special that that they have some have the ability to just totally, you know, the Yankee slider is a little different just because, but that's the exact same concept. It's like, hey, like here's this, here's this, uh, this grip. Now I want you to use this grip and throw it unconventionally. Like maybe I'm going to give you a curveball grip and tell you to throw it like a fastball, right? Like that would be unconventional. Um, maybe it's something like that, but. But no, I mean, I think the other thing is that having the data really helps being able to go, hey, like, for sure, see, I'm going to give you a feel and you tell me by looking at the numbers, you'll tell me how you manipulate the ball. Right, right. Because that is available, like movement now is available and you don't just have to work off of your catcher saying, hey, that did something awesome for you. Right, right. right. It's it's now saying, all right, like, here's the spin axis. Here's you know, what we're seeing in terms of IVB and things like that. So, you know, if you find like a, a tweak to maybe a sinker, right? Like if you were a two seam guy and you try a different grip and all of a sudden you get a bit more vertical drop, like I'm thinking Gratterall. If Gratterall was, you know, tinkering with his sinker, like that guy throws 102, but he doesn't get swings and misses. So if this guy were to find something during an off season that gets him a little bit more vertical drop to his sinker, you know, that's probably something that, that he works in and he's got a rap Soto telling him that. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. I mean, 
And I think the other reality is like, you know, today, because of the data, I don't even need to worry about necessarily vertical drop. All I need to go do is, is find, Hey, give me a fastball. That's 102 that gets swings and misses. What is the profile? What's the and profile? Let me try and match it. If I can, can I replicate that? Yeah. And if I can replicate it and it works, we stick with that. If I can replicate it and it doesn't work because, you know, at the end of the day, like, um, there's still approach angle. There's still angles that are not always changeable. Um, you know, there's stuff that you can't always change. I really do think that using the data is is figuring out how to make you a better pitcher based off that data rather than changing you to become like I don't want you to hunt numbers. I want you to look at this data and say, here's how I best use you using your stuff. Here's what your stuff tells me how to use you um, more so than like. I want to hunt this spin rate and I want to hunt this vert. I want to hunt blah, blah, blah. You yeah. know, and don't get me wrong. There are certain thresholds that we found that like, Hey, at this vertical, um, you're going to get way more swings and misses, right? Like just if you're hitting 350, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to get a contract way more off. Correct. Uh, if you, if you hit the ball 94 between 10 and 30 degrees, you're going to, your chances of getting a hit are significantly higher. Correct. That's not saying you're going to do it for sure, but man, if I can tell you to do one thing as a hitter, that's it. As a pitcher, I just want to be able to go, okay, here's what you do. How can I best use you? And that's what I think Tampa does so well. Yes, for sure. And we, you know, Tampa is a great conversation. We've had that conversation on the Just Baseball show. And, you know, we can, we can get into that in the Guardian conversation, the Dodger conversation as well, because I think those are the big three when it comes to pitcher development. Um, but Tampa is, hey, we find a guy that does one thing really well, and we ask him to do it a lot more. I think Matt Whistler is a great example of that. Whistler, 91% sliders last year for Whistler. And I faced him in spring training and was at 22. And I'll tell you, like, I knew it was coming. It wasn't invisible. And I still didn't hit it very hard. Um, it, but, you know, I, uh, the, the other part of that is they put them in situations to succeed. Um, yeah. and that, that's really important, but right. uh, you know, they do, they do a lot of stuff, right. But I want to get to Wilson. Let's get to yes. Wilson. Let's get to Wilson. I'm sorry. One more thing. Oh. One oh. more. So quick. Bryce Miller. I know you've talked to Aram yeah. about a Bryce Miller. Um, this guy is on some sort of heater to start his big league career. He's two and oh, in his first three starts. One run in 19 innings. He's got 18 punch outs, one walk. And you've talked about his fastball. And Arms walked you through the fastball metrics. This is an 80-grade fastball. And it's not 100. It's 95 to 7. We'll occasionally grab an 8. But Bryce Miller has, I, I think he threw a 23-inch IVB fastball, which is just, like, absurd. This guy's, fast, this guy's fastball will miss over the top of any barrel in baseball and he's doing it so far how much of that is god given like can you even come close to learning that kind of fastball uh it's a mix of that and like just learning like how you learned how to throw like in general Got it. i mean most of it is is given for sure but like some guys just learn to throw way more over the top than others right like um yeah, I, that's most of it is given, but there is definitely some you can change. And like the reality for most people, though, is now 
the younger generation can change a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can change some of that stuff, but the reality for like guys in pro ball, most of the numbers are what they are. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Wilson. Also, also Mason Miller. Um, I don't know if you saw, he's going for a second opinion. So I hope that comes out good. Cause that's another really fun, exciting arm. Shit. I hope that comes out well. Yeah. So we shall see on the Mason Miller front, but yeah, second opinion on forearm tightness. Wilson Contreras now. Um, you bid us adieu on May 3rd, 3rd. May 4th, 3rd? 3rd. Okay. 3rd home. I think the last time – I think that was the last time we talked was actually like the 1st. Yeah. So we last spoke on May 1st. On May uh, 5th, initial word came out that Wilson Contreras wasn't going to catch – uh, for the foreseeable future, he was going to DH and play corner outfield. On May 6th, John Mozeliak, the president of baseball operations for the St. Louis Cardinals, said, no, he's not going to play corner outfield. He's just going to DH. But it was Mozeliak, it was Ali Marmol, and I guess it was kind of Wilson Contreras saying that Wilson has not done as good of a job as we were expecting in terms of handling a pitching staff. We want him to learn that. It will be a several-week process at the very least. Um, It sounded like it was going to be a couple of months that Wilson Contreras was not going to be catching, and he was going to be the DH. Again, this is finalized on May 6th. On May 14th, Ali Marmol says that Wilson Contreras will be back behind the plate on Monday, May 15th in the Cardinals' Monday night game. What the hell did I just get walked through while you were gone? Like, I understand why I couldn't text you. You had some bigger shit going on. But as a guy that knows Wilson Contreras really well, what kind of shit was he just rung through, man? Man, that's that there was so much into that. Um, And I'm glad you brought up like the team stuff, too, because I don't want to say they handled it incorrectly because I don't know what was what I don't know what happened so yeah no here's what i'm here's what i will say before you get into the wilson Contreras thing i am blaming the team a hundred percent and here's why um first week of the season tyler o'neill interpret it however you want was not hustling home and got thrown out at the plate looked like it was a hard jog but it wasn't a dead sprint i'm on i'm on o'neill's case he shouldn't have done that in public all he should have Ollie should I at least it seemed like it it was not a big enough deal that you needed to do that. It felt like he could have handled it. Exactly. Exactly. So whether he was dogging it or not, Ali Marmol, instead of going to Tyler O'Neill one-on-one or handling this behind closed doors, went to the media and bashed Tyler O'Neill and pretty much benched him for the next game via the media. And when the media talked to Tyler O'Neill, O'Neill said straight up, I don't appreciate how he did that. I wish he came to me and we had a conversation individually, especially because my game is predicated on hustle. Like, that's the reason why I'm here. So that's knock number one on the St. Louis Cardinals and not on any of the players in that clubhouse. Number two was the the Jordan Walker thing. Um, They option Walker. Day before that, they activate Paul DeYoung from the injured list. They activate DeYoung from the IL. Corresponding move is DFAing Taylor Motter. So you DFA Motter. Less than 24 hours later, they option Walker 
And the corresponding move is signing Taylor Motter to a major league contract. Make it make sense. It was a panic move from the Cardinals. I don't think Ali really knows what he's doing right now. I think Moselak doesn't really know how to be the overseer of a team below 500 because he's never had to do it. I think that the manager, the lead executives, and everybody in that organization is, I don't like, I guess short circuiting right now because they don't know how to lose. And Wilson Contreras was a victim of that. I think that they've, I, I think that they're in a spot that a lot of teams have, have been in, um, but they're just not used to it because one thing that, that they have done, I, I really believe you could argue as good as, but you could really argue second best to the Yankees is they, they have preached this Cardinal way. And for a really long time, that organization has lived up to it. Like they have, if there were mistakes, they were handled, right? Like, Outside of what Larusa getting arrested being drunk, like there ha- there's not a ton of of uh, you know scandals coming out of there, right? Like that place has been run extremely tight ship for a, for a, as long as I can remember. Um, and I think that this is so big of a deal because of that. I want to lead with that. Like I think in the scheme of things, this is not near as big of a deal as we're seeing it. I just think that it's so unique to this organization that it's even blown up even more. It's like the little issues that happened in New York that we look at and we go, oh my gosh, like that's happening. But it's really just because it's happening in New York. Um, I think that's kind of a similar issue here. But I, uh, you know, the fact that he's only not doing it for a week just seems like the team gave in to me. I don't know if that's what happened, but like, it just seems like they didn't want him to play. Something happened because I read, and I don't know, but like, I read that like Flaherty made some comments about him too. Um, And then he makes the comment. The one comment that sticks out to me that was interesting was when Wilson said, yeah, I was talking to, I was even talking to Yachty and even he was talking about how we're not executing. And that's just an interesting comment for somebody to make at that point. So Um, that was what stood out to us as well. And we dove into it on the Just Baseball show. There were a couple quotes from John Moselock here that I want to read you from The Athletic. And, you know, the, the writer Ken Rosenthal and Katie Wu, who's on the beat for the Cardinals on The Athletic, did a really nice job of covering this. And this is the first quote from Moselock. Quote, Obviously, the Cardinals were used to one guy behind the plate for close to two decades. The nuances of that position, maybe very subtle, are what a lot of our pitchers were used to. What we were seeing was a lack of confidence. Normally, you would say, why didn't you address this in spring training? But in spring training, it's so different in terms of what people are trying to work on. Pitchers are going a couple of innings. It doesn't really count. Next one. What I what I don't want to have happen is a finger point. This is all Wilson's fault. It's not, Moselak said. There are many parts of our team right now that are not performing to what we expected. I do think the nuances of the catching side, we haven't had to spend a whole lot of time and energy thinking about because of what Yachty did for us. You know that saying, you sometimes feel like you had a coach on the field? That was Yachty. That's how we thought. Even though you might have a game plan, Yachty had the ability to allow that to evolve during a game, real-time decision-making. 
So what you're saying here, like what I got from that sweeping takeaway, but what I got from this is they were almost shocked that they didn't have Yadier Molina behind the plate when it was Wilson Contreras and not Yadier Molina. There's no way. I don't believe that I don't believe that that you did not expect a drop off and a drop off of a significant amount. Now, let me tell you this. This is my this is my theory. You want to know my theory of how this happened? Yes, because, you know, Wilson. Well, man, like well, you I, know, think, yeah. I think the public knows Wilson. Like we saw what happened at last year's deadline. Why didn't he get moved to the deadline? Uh, there was a deal in place with Houston, right? It was Urquidy for Wilson and the owner of the Astros, Jim Crane, shot it down because he thought that Martin Maldonado needed to be in the lineup. But like, what were the rumors as to why nobody wanted to trade for Wilson? I don't, I don't know. Was it was it because he's like an enemy of other teams? It was game calling. It was game calling? Okay. So... If that's why he didn't – if that's why teams were not taking a chance, you knew what you were getting. Um, my only question is, like, you know, I'm sure teams call other people, right? Like, the, you know, if the Blue Jays wanted to sign Wilson Contreras, I'm sure they would have uh, – that – I'm sure um, – oh, who's the who's the president right now? Who's the president of the Blue Jays? Yeah. Ross Atkins. I'm sure Ross Atkins, call, Atkins calls Jed Hoyer and says, hey, Jed, what do you got? You know, should I give this guy 70 million? Not that he needs to give him uh, real advice as to if he needs to pay him or not, but I'm sure they call each other. But I'll tell you this. I would almost guarantee that the Chicago Cubs wouldn't answer the St. Louis Cardinals questions about that because they're in division. It'd be like the Yankees and the Red Sox talking. But the thing that jumps out to me about that is like it was public knowledge, like I knew, that, I knew that Wilson wasn't the best game caller last year. I, I, I guess, man, I, I, the whole thing just, there was, what was the beginning of that quote? Um, of the second one? The No, the first one. Obviously the Cardinals were used to one guy behind the plate for close to two decades. Keep going. The nuances of that position may be very subtle or what a lot of our pitchers were used to. What we were seeing was a lack of confidence. That, that. There is zero chance that there was a lack of confidence. Wilson Contreras does not understand lacking confidence. I don't think he's the most confident guy I've ever played with, no doubt. He's not the cockiest guy I've ever played with, but he is proud of Wilson Contreras. And I don't think that guy was lacking confidence. Yeah. I don't know what it was. But I don't think it was that. Um, I, I do think there was probably just issues, man. That's an older, that's an older staff. He probably wanted to do things more his way, and and they probably believed more what they had been doing. I think that it's a mix of you know one of the the things that I read that I do believe, and it was like it was talking about the Yachty quote, and I think that's the part that's getting really blown up now is the fact that. Yachty was the one that said, like, hey, Wilson can't be catching, right? That was the thing that was being blown up. Well, just in general, like, that. come on, Mosaic, you you knew you were – you knew this was going to be – there was no baseball that you could sign. There was not a single human being outside of maybe Martin Maldonado that you could sign that could come close to doing what Yachty has done. 
Yachty's the greatest of all time in my mind. In terms of defensive catcher, yes. In terms of like if I if I'm getting a guy for one game, seven games, or 162 games, I want Yadier Molina behind the plate. Um, I, I understand he's not going to do what Johnny Bench did at the plate, but he did so much more behind the plate. He changed our position. Um, but the fact that you would even say that, like, that didn't really cross our mind is there's no way. There's no it's way. Idiotic. It's totally idiotic. So – I guess that takes me to my next thought. What on earth can be fixed in nine days? Nothing, nothing. And I, I, that's why I almost feel like you made him mad. And, but I mean, like this whole thing started with miscommunication because first it was, he's going to play the outfield in DH and then it's, uh, he's going to play the corner outfield and then it's, he's never going to touch the outfield grass. Yeah. To, now he's DH for the first day in Chicago, which what timing for that. Um, but he, he DHs for a week and now he's going to catch again. It just, it looks like from the outside looking in, it looks like you made him mad and you didn't want to, it was not going well. And so you stopped, but like somebody, somebody was just talking about it and was like, man, let's be honest. Like they're, they went from 10 games over to 11 games under no doubt. Wilson's a big part of that just because he's not Yachty. It doesn't matter who we, like I said, it doesn't matter who you put there. Um, There's bigger issues. They're 11 games under. Exactly. So one of my favorite narratives from Katie um, was, you know, after she did all this reporting, right? One of the words that kept on coming up for her in her articles on Twitter was execution, right? So you know, while game calling could have been an issue, while communication between Wilson and the and the rotation could be an issue, and the numbers back it up. Like we did that dive on the Just Baseball show. Like there were a couple of starting pitchers. I think Flaherty's numbers were better with Kisner than they were with Wilson. Matz's numbers were several runs better. His ERA was several runs better with Kisner than with Wilson. So like there were things to back it up. Um, but Katie made the point about execution. Like this Cardinals rotation has not been executing that well. So like Well, well, Kis- Kisner's or Kniser or whatever, however you say his name. Yeah, Kisner. His his catcher's ERA was like almost a point and a half lower. Like Wilson's yeah. was in the five and and his was in the threes. So yeah. like Kisner, but the thing so, is Kisner has four years of big league experience being Yadier Molina's backup. Right. I just the other thing that I questioned was, and I, I like Trace Barrera, no offense to Trace Barrera, but like if you're going to move on from your $90 million player and you're the St. Louis Cardinals, you're not going to call up Trace Barrera and have him and Andrew Kisner catching every day. You're just not. No. You're going to make a move for somebody. You're going to trade with the Blue Jays. You're going to do something. Um, you, I, I can't, I couldn't fathom the, St. Louis Cardinals going through the rest of the season like that um, just because they're the St. Louis Cardinals. That position has been so special to them for so long. Right. They, they've also had a top 100 prospect for several years waiting yeah. in triple in Yvonne Herrera. Is he good? Is he, is he playing good? I don't know. Like that's the thing. Like the, the offensive numbers are so, so, but 
if you were to do something this drastic, wouldn't you go to the top prospect or at least the former top prospect? I really think you would trade. I really do. I really think you would go get a rental. But if you couldn't do that, then yeah, I mean, you're going to, I don't know. You're seeing what Houston's doing in Yiner. They're letting him play and it's going well. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't do that, but um, I don't know. It's just so fascinating. And, and, you know, it's going to blow over. He's going to start catching and he's going to keep hitting and it's going to be fine. He's going to do exactly what he did in Chicago, right? Like um, this offseason, they're going to go get a defensive-minded backup catcher that can work with him and that can work with the staff. You're going to lose uh, probably half of that pitching staff, if not more. So it's fine because they're below average. Like you need to improve there anyways. So, and they're, and they're older. I mean, but, you know, it's uh, it's just I feel bad. For, I feel bad for Wilson because it is the first year of a five year deal, and and this sucks. No matter how you look at it, no matter whose fault it was, it's gonna suck for Wilson for the rest of this contract. That is gonna be a absolute asterisk in year one. Yeah, like I'm wondering, is his Cardinals tenure already soured? No questions asked. I think, yes, 39 games in, 36 games in, you've decided that your $90 million catcher is only going to be a DH. And don't get me wrong, he can hit, but he doesn't hit like a $90 million DH. No. No. I mean, dude, I I think any hope that they had, and, you know, you you heard the spring training sound bites, right? He talked about the Cardinal way and how they, I mean, he pretty much just kind of shat on the Cubs for, for a minute before talking about how happy he was to be in St. Louis. What? I I said, I don't think he kind of did. I think he really did. He really did. So, I mean, you disparage the Cubs when you go to St. Louis. So you're winning over that Cardinal fan base. And then all of a sudden, management puts you in a spot where you're made out as the pariah. Like, that was such a brutal turn of events. And honestly, like, this was a PR nightmare for the St. Louis Cardinals and what did you gain from it? Again, these things can be done behind closed doors. Well, like I said, I think this was a mistake. I think this was a mistake by an organization that just doesn't make mistakes. That's why I think, once again, that's why I think this is such a big deal. Because it, it is a big deal, right? But, like, it's it's in the, in the big scheme of things, it's really not a big deal. Like I said, it's going to blow over in a week. My guess, honestly, is that it blows over in a week and we don't ever think about it until we get to like either next year or the end of this contract and they're talking about it again. Um, but I think it is a big deal because it's the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. And like, and, they're the, and they went and they're the worst team in the national league. Yeah. And that hasn't changed like that. That's the thing, man. I mean, it's not like they were the worst team in the national league for two days and then they got really hot. They've been the worst team in the NL for a minute now. That's what I mean. There's there's more there. There's something more there. Dude, it's it's a really bad situation, but I'm with you. I hope the best for Wilson Contreras in this scenario, and I've got no idea what Cardinals management was thinking there. Uh, TD, we'll talk again on Friday, yeah? Let's do it. Every link you need in the show notes. Go get yourself some Just Baseball merch. Listen to the other podcasts on the Just Baseball Network, the Just Baseball Show, the call-up. All that good stuff. And we will talk to you on Friday.